Well, good morning. So, this whole series, this whole year, is really dedicated to one thing. We want you, every one of you, to do one thing this year. Here it is. Open this book and reflect on it daily. That's what we want you to do. Now, you may be here and you say, well, Pastor, I haven't started. I don't know anything about it. We have a a reading thing that you can go through. But again, the thing that's the, the most important thing isn't that you read this from cover to cover. That would be a good thing. But the most important thing is that you're taking a portion of this and you're reflecting on it. You're thinking about it. You're applying it to your life. You're, you're meditating on it. You're, you're allowing it to soak into your soul. That's what we want. Now, it may be that this was a rough week for you. And you say, you know what? I didn't even open this up this week. It didn't happen. Okay, fine. That, that's last week. What, what about this week? Because if you can open this book up three times this week, then that's three times more than you did last week. And if you can do that on a regular basis... It'll be much more than you've done. And so that's really what we're, we're asking you. Wherever you are, just take the next step, even if it's a couple times a week. But do something about it. Because Jesus, and the passage we're using for this whole series is this. Jesus says, uh, Man, people shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I believe that we're starving for the Word of God. And we need it. And so that's what we're encouraging you to do. Last weekend, and this whole month, we really were focusing on the book of Genesis. And, you know, it's impossible to preach through the book of Genesis in, in a month. <laughs> but we're, we're, you know, we're trying to do it. And really, we're hit, you know, we're 20,000 uh, foot level. We're just kind of going what, way over top of it. But we're focusing on major portions of it. Last weekend, we talked about the whole creation story. And this weekend, we want to talk about Genesis chapter 3. It's a significant chapter. It's a critical chapter. It really gives, a, it gives an explanation of why our relationships with each other are so strained sometimes, why the world is so dangerous, and where we're headed. You know, it shows us that we're not living, you know, this world is beautiful, and it's gorgeous, and it's amazing, and it's God's creation, but we're not living in a country club. We're living in a war zone. And uh, we want to begin by looking at a passage from Genesis chapter 3 and starting at verse 1. So I want you to do this. I want you to take your Bible or your smartphone or whatever and open it up. And you can look in the chair Bible if you'd like. There's chair Bibles and we'd love you to follow along. I want to read the first five verses of Genesis 3. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees of the garden? Well, of course we can eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, You must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be just like Him, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful and the fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave it some to her husband who ate with her, and he ate it too. Now, 
Genesis teaches us, this chapter teaches us a number of things. The first thing it teaches us is about ourselves. Um, we're not told how, but what it has assumed is evil has now become part of this creation. That Satan has some time or another fallen. And we're not told when, we're not told how. We're just told that there is evil in the garden. And when we're introduced to Satan, he has disguised himself as a serpent. We're not told how he became corrupted, and that's actually not what Genesis... Genesis 3 isn't telling us how Satan got corrupted. It's telling us how we got corrupted. And, and then it really doesn't care. It doesn't care at all about what's going on with Satan. It cares what's going on with us. And that's the focus. And so we, we, we learn about ourselves, and we learn about our relationships with one another. The effects of sin are immediate, and they're devastating. Adam and Eve, they had a perfect relationship, and that was immediately destroyed. The moment they ate from the, from the tree, uh, they, their relationship was destroyed. Adam blames Eve for his sin. Eve blames the, 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 the snake, and um, I don't know who the snake blamed. Probably nobody, but... Um, he excuses his sin. He tells God, well, you know what? Here's the problem, God. The problem is, it's this woman you gave me. Now, I just if you have a wife here and you're a husband, don't you dare look at your wife right now because you've done that probably. Um, he is essentially saying, she made me do it. He throws her under the bus. And he's essentially saying to her, you gave me a flawed woman. If you'd given me a good woman... This would have never have happened. And, and, and essentially what he's saying is send her to hell and give me another woman. It's her fault. She should be judged. And, you know, before we're too hard on, on Adam, uh, we do the same things in our relationships. We will throw people under the bus. We will uh, do anything and say anything about another person to justify our own behavior. We do it all the time. We often see, here's our problem, we often see others as existing for one purpose and one person, purpose only. How can this person enhance my life? What can they bring to me? What can they give me? What they, can they do for me? And, and that's kind of where we've gone. We're hardwired, Genesis tells us in Genesis 3, that we're hardwired now for selfishness. We're hardwired for uh, we're all born fallen. We're tainted. We have a bent towards evil, a bent towards sin. We call this original sin, that no one is born with a clean slate. We're, we're born with a bent away from God, not towards God. We're, we're, we we're born bending towards uh, looking out for our, our own selfish needs and, and not serving. Um, now, if you believe in original sin, and I think it is taught, and you understand its implications, you know that no one is better than you because we're all fallen creatures. We, we've all fallen short. We, we all have a bent towards evil thoughts and evil uh, behavior and actions. Uh, we're all under judgment. Uh, the doctrine of original sin destroys self-righteousness because we realize that it doesn't matter how good we are in comparison to somebody else that we've all fallen. So, in, in a sense... Uh, our relationships with one, one another have been destroyed. But our relationship with God is destroyed. God comes along looking for Adam and Eve in the cool of the day uh, to walk with them. And what does he do? He finds them hiding. They're hiding. The biggest loss to Adam and Eve was their, they, they had up to this point an open face-to-face -face relationship with God. This walking with God in the garden was this idea that they had an open uh, 
uh, shameless relationship with God. Uh, in the garden, though, after the sin, men and women became hiders. We began to hide. The minute they ate, they began to hide. They began to, to try to cover their bodies up. Uh, they began to hide from God. Uh, today, we all we do the same thing. We hide from one another and we hide from God. We have become hiders. We have become posers. We mask ourselves. We mask our motives. We mask our lives. We're afraid of being open and honest to people. We're afraid of... Why? Because we're afraid of fear and rejection. Adam and Eve went from walking with God to hiding from Him. And, and their relationship, they be, instead of supporting one another, they began attacking one another. Um, and we still do the, t- the same today. We have picked up our parents' DNA. We are born now with a, with a culture, in a, in a culture, and, and boy, this is true online too. Don't you see this online? Where uh, my, my boys were showing me over a vacation a show on TV where uh, these two, a um, um, uh, guy and a girl were kind of uh, texting and, and uh, over the computer uh, talking to one another and showing, and the, the whole point of the show was the, 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 the happened this episode, but I think they do it both ways. This girl had put up this beautiful picture of who she was. And so he, they, they take him to her house to meet her because he's never seen her. And let's just say she didn't look like the picture at all. And, and, and he's all like, I, don't, I can't understand it. Why, why did you do this to me? And well, I'm the same person we've been talking, you know, we've been talking, you've been, we've been talking to each other for the last nine months. I'm, I'm that person. And the guy's thinking, no, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. Why? Because you're posing. You, you're, you're, you, have this, you have this facade, you have this picture of who you are. And we, every one of us does this to a certain extent, some of us more than others. We say, this is what I want you to see about me. This is what I want you to know about me. This is the information I want to give to you about me. I, but I don't want you to know who I really am. I don't want you to know who I really, what I'm really thinking. I don't want you to know who I really am because if you knew that, you wouldn't accept me. You would reject me because I'm ashamed of who I am. It all began in the garden. They had an open, honest relationship with one another. The, the idea of nakedness in there was not, it's not, don't get caught up with the physical nakedness. Understand what's going on here. What, is, what happened in the garden was open and honest, complete open and honestness with each other and with God was, was happening. And when sin came in, the covering up began. And we do it today. We do it all the time. And online has just gone rampant. But here's the other thing that happened in the garden. Here's the other thing that was lost. Our relationship with nature, this physical world, changed dramatically forever. In the fall, we see how everything was destroyed. Because of the fall, death and disease was, was unleashed. Uh, un, there was unmeasurable suffering and sure death. The earth no longer was a safe place, but one of hardship, disaster, and death. It is a beautiful place, but it is a dangerous place. Paul basically says in the book of Romans, he talks about the earth. And he says, since the fall of mankind, since the fall, since the sin of Adam and Eve, the earth has been under a curse. And it's waiting for the day that one day it'll be released from the curse. God's perfect creation is under a curse. And, and, and that's why we have the natural disasters we have. Because the earth is under a curse. And it's waiting for that day where it'll be set free. So we live in a world that's fallen. Our relationship is destroyed. And our relationship with God has been messed up. 
now we live in an age where we get sick, where there's natural disasters, and where we die. Going back, we see God coming to Adam and Eve, calling him out, wondering how he's going to own up for his sin, and he doesn't. And he begins the process of hiding and posing and blaming. And uh, go, to, go down to verse 17 of Genesis 3. God's speaking to the man, and he says, And to the man, he said, Since you listened to your wife, and you ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you, and, your life, and all your life you will struggle uh, to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you, eat, uh, will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Now, as I was preparing for this weekend, I was thinking, well, why, why didn't God just tell them the consequences beforehand? Have you ever done that with your children where you say, don't touch that burner? And they go, why? Well, John, if you touch that burner, it is going to really burn your hand. I mean, severely burn your hand. You're going to have, be in so much pain. And is, your skin is going to be, it's, it's just not a good thing. It's really going to hurt you a lot. And, uh, you, and God didn't do that with a tree. He didn't say, okay, here, here, here's why you shouldn't eat the tree. Because if you eat the tree, your relationship with me is ultimately going to be destroyed. Your relationship with each other is going to be destroyed. And, and generations from then on are going to be, they're going to, you're going to bring so much pain and suffering into this world. And your future generations, your fu- the future generations are going to be, they're going to look to you and they're going to say, why did you do this to me? So much suffering, so much pain and death. But God didn't do it that way. He, he didn't warn them. He didn't say, well, if you eat from the tree, it's going to cause you pain and suffering for the rest of the world. Why? Because God wanted Adam and Eve to obey, not out of duty, but out of love. You know, we could do things because, or not do things, because we say, well, I won't do it. I won't rob this bank because if I get caught, I'll, get, I'll have to go to jail or if, it'll re- ruin my reputation or it'll embarrass my family or, you know, for, for whatever reasons. But that's not really a good re- you know, I mean, that's, that's preventative. And God could have gotten them to not by doing that. But what God wanted them to do, He wanted them to understand that their lives was a gift from them. That they depended upon Him for life. That they weren't independent creatures. They didn't have their own existence. Their existence depended upon Him. And and God brought them to a point where He said, you need to decide here and now whether I'm God or you are God. And they chose. Adam and Eve said, we're going to be choose to be God. And that's actually what Satan's temptation was. Who's in charge here? Who's God? And, and, and Eve and Adam chose to be God. And God said, you have just cut yourself off from life. And the day that you eat from that, you'll die. And they did. And we do. They could either trust him or they could take their lives in their own hands and die. And we know what they chose. Because every one of us is going to suffer the consequences of that sin. Now, there's two things I want to look at in this passage before we move into our communion time this morning. The first one is the lie that we still believe and then the promise that we should believe. Those are the two things I want to look at. So first, let's look at the lie that we still believe. Adam and Eve believed the lie of Satan, and it's the passage we read at the beginning. And the lie is still alive today. For, and many of us have fallen for this lie. We, some of us have fallen for this lie this week. 
And here's the lie. If you obey God, He's going to keep you down. If you obey God, you're not going to be happy, you're not going to be fulfilled, and you're not going to fulfill your ultimate purpose if you obey God. And that's the way our world runs. Satan was saying to Adam and Eve, God wants to hold you down. God is holding back on you. God God hasn't given you the best. God hasn't allowed you to excel. God is is selfish. He's stingy. And He is holding the best back from you. And that's the lie we believe today. Because we say, if I just had this woman, if I just had this man, if I just had this relationship, if I just had this car, if I just had this house, if I just had this, then I would be happy. Or if I just have Whatever it is, and we believe the lie that God is holding out on us because if we had this, then we would be happy. And, and that's the way the world goes. I mean, think about this. When, if you were to walk up to generally people and say, I love God and my desire is to love God and to love Jesus, they would say, well, that's kind of a narrow life. You're cutting yourself off from so much fun and so much happiness and so much joy. Why would you want to limit your life to that? This lie is so deeply embedded into our culture. Now, notice what's going on here. Satan doesn't challenge God's existence. He doesn't say, well, God doesn't exist. He doesn't challenge His power. He doesn't challenge His majesty. What does he challenge about God? His goodness. He's saying God is not good to you. And that's the lie we believe today. God doesn't really love you. God isn't good to you. Why would you trust Him? I, I, I sit down with people all the time that come into my office. And they say, I know I shouldn't do this. But doesn't God want me to be happy? Doesn't, I know it goes contrary to what God's telling me here. And what are they essentially saying? God is holding out on me. If we believe God, we'll miss out. We won't be happy. We won't thrive. We won't flourish. The the enemy always wants to destroy our trust in God. Always. And he still does it today. All of your sin, every one of your sin boils down to this. It boils down to this lie. The root of all of our sin comes from a mistrust of God's goodness, of God's grace, and God's love. We don't believe it. Every one of your sins comes down to that. We have been ruined by this lie. And it continues to destroy us today. Every one of your sins goes down that you just won't. Well, let me give you a couple of examples. Pride. The sin of pride. What's the sin of pride? The sin of pride is where we try to create an existence where we don't need God. I don't need you. I can get by without you. I don't want to, bo- and, you know, and the, the, the holy way we do this is say, well, I don't want to bother God with this, so I'll take care of it myself. I don't want to burden God. He's got other things to think. I mean, he's got the whole universe. So I'll do this myself. So I got this one, God. I don't need you. Uh, What's below it, though, is that we're unwilling to admit that we're merely creatures and we're dependent upon him for our existence, which is essentially what, what the test was in the first place. God was saying to Adam and Eve, will you acknowledge and will you admit that you are the creature and I am the creator, that you are the clay and I am the potter, that I have your best interest in, or will you try to go out on your own and do it for yourself? That's really what it comes down to. 
Pride will keep many people out of heaven because they want to control their own destinies. They want to say, well, I'm good enough, or I go to church, or I'm, I believe in God, or whatever. I'm doing enough. God has to accept me this way. God must accept me. Why wouldn't he accept me? In fact, it doesn't make sense that he wouldn't accept me. And yet, in Matthew, it says, many will come to me on that day. I did this, and I did this, and I did this. And Jesus says to them, he says, I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. Pride keeps many men out of heaven. Because they just can't come to a place where they say, I'm broken, I'm needy, I need a Savior. I can't save myself. You know, men have been taught by our American culture that a sign of maleness, a sign of strength is to say, I don't need anyone and I don't need anything. I pull myself up by my own bootstraps and I can do it on my own. And i got to tell you something, that's a great recipe to go down the path to hell. Until you come to a point, and the greatest, the most manly thing that you can ever say is, I need God more than I need anything else. More than I need, Jesus basically said, the Word of God is more precious to me than bread. Anxiety is another one. What is anxiety? Anxiety is basically saying, I can't trust God. I'm worried about this, I'm worried about this, and I'm worried about this. Why? Because God either hasn't given me what I need or He's not, His timetable is off. Something's wrong with, you know, if, if I could run things, if I could take over, then I wouldn't be anxious, but I'm anxious right now. I mean, think about this. Have you ever taught one of your kids how to drive? You're sitting there in the passenger side, Right? Sometimes you're sitting there going, I wish they had the extra pedals and steering wheel, right? You're anxious. Why? Because they're out of control over here, right? That's what we do with God. God, I can't trust you. I can't trust you. I can't trust you to commandeer the car of my life. Can't handle it, right? It all comes down to that, folks. And that's the lie we believe today. Don't trust God. Because if you trust Him, He's going to take all the joy, all the happiness, all the... You'll, you'll, not, you'll, not, you'll not soar if you put yourself under God. You'll not soar. You've got to be your own man. You've got to be your own person. That's the lie we believe today. And every one of our sins, every one of our, every one of our horrible decisions comes down that we used to say, take things in my own hand, and I'm going to be my own God. God says, okay. It's, it's, it, I, I give picture, people the picture of the driving ed car with the steering wheels and the, the brake pedals, and it's like you're driving, and the minute, the, as long as your hands are on the wheel and as long as your feet are on the brake pedals, Jesus is sitting there going like this. And you have, to, you have to almost visually say, I'm taking my hands off the wheel, I'm taking my feet off the pedals, Jesus, would you direct my life? Now, he's going to take you down a road, and you're going to go, no, I don't want to go down that road. You're going to want to grab onto the wheel again, and Jesus says, okay, I'm off then. And that's the challenge we have. Can we trust him? The promise, though, is amazing, because in the midst of all this darkness, there's a ray of hope. There's a promise given in the middle of the curses. Earlier I stated that because of the fall, we have become hiders that we cannot and will not honestly reveal ourselves to others or to God. Now, I'm not suggesting that you go out and you find somebody and say, let me tell you my deepest and darkest secrets. I think that's a huge mistake. But what did Adam and Eve immediately do after they sinned? They hid. 
We hide because we can't bear the know, we can't bear to know the truth about us. We can't accept who we really are, so we hide. We don't want a realistic, honest appraisal of ourselves, so we hide. I mean, think about it. There are those times where you're standing before a doctor or you're standing before a teacher and they're going to give an appraisal of you and you don't want to hear it. And sometimes they're giving you an accurate appraisal of what's going on with you and you will either say, I didn't want to hear that. Or I've, you know, maybe you've done this where you said, I don't believe that. That's not true. We're really hiding from ourselves. Adam and Eve hid because they didn't want to know that they didn't want to know uh, the truth about themselves. In the presence of God, though, we see what we can't accept. When we come into the presence of God, we He reveals who we are. I mean, that's why in Isaiah six, where Isaiah sees God, what, what happens immediately after he sees God is he sees himself. And his first words are, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. He's saying, I'm a mess. But he was able to accept that. So Adam and Eve sin. God comes looking for them. He calls out to them. It's not like he's saying, where did they go? Were they behind the tree over there? Where, where? No, no, he knew where they were. He knew what they had done. The good news is, though, even though they were hiding, God came looking for them. When we hide, God looks for us. He calls out to them, and He calls them out on their behavior. He knows what they've done, but He wants them to come clean. Instead, what do they do? They make excuses, they blame shift, they avoid taking responsibility for their sins. But the, the good news is, even in the midst of this, God sought them out. Even though they hid, God sought them out. And when we hid, God seeks us out. Notice what he says to Eve in in Genesis 3, verse 15. I will cause hostility between you, speaking of the serpent, and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and, and you will strike his heel. You know what Adam should have done? When, when the serpent began to question God's goodness, he should have taken his foot and he should have stomped the head of the serpent. That's what he should have done. But instead he listened to the mouth of the serpent. In the midst of the destruction, God offers Adam and Eve and us hope. We're not told how, but we're told that one day God is somehow going to turn everything around that He's going to restore this garden for us. In the Bible, there are two significant trees. There are more than two, but there's two that I want to talk about this morning. Adam was brought to the garden. He was shown a tree. He was asked to obey. God says, don't eat from this tree. In Adam's case, he was asked not to eat, and he would live. If you don't eat from this tree, you will live. He disobeyed. And he brought death, not only to himself, but to us. And we, today, are suffering the devastating consequences of his sin. Jesus was brought to a garden. He was shown a tree, the cross, and he was asked to obey. In Jesus' case, he was asked to climb the tree, the cross, and to give his life. 
And he chose to obey. And by obeying, he gave us life. Adam and Eve were brought to a bright, sunny garden. And God said to them, Obey me about the tree and you will live. They didn't. And we die. Jesus was brought to a dark garden. And God said to him, Obey me about the tree and you will be crushed. And he did. He climbed the tree of death for us. He turned the tree of death, the cross, into a tree of life. Many scholars have called this passage, this verse 315, the proto-euangelion, which just means the first gospel. It's the first hope. It's the picture of how God is going to restore humanity to himself. And not all of humanity, we understand that. But how he's going to provide a way back. So I have a couple questions as we close. Have you called upon him? Do you understand that this is a God you can't hide from? That he knows your darkest and dirtiest thoughts and actions? He knows that. He knows what's going on in your heart right now and in your head. He knows how you've been posing and how you've been hiding. And yet he comes looking for you and he says, I still love you and I want to be with you. And I know that that's not going to work except if you call upon my son. All of the junk in your life is due to the fact that you will not trust God. You won't trust his grace, his love, and his mercy that you're living out the lie, that you're trusting the lie of the serpent. Only as we accept what he did for us on the tree, what Jesus did for us on the tree, the cross, will we begin to understand his love, grace, and mercy. I mean, it makes sense. If we look to the cross and we see what Jesus has done for us, we understand that he was fully committed to us because he gave his life, that he loves us because he, you know, greater love has no one than this, that he would give up his life for his friend, and he did that for us. We understand his grace and mercy because he who knew no sin became sin for us. He took our punishment. He took our judgment. So that as he gave his life for me, I can give my life to him knowing that I'm giving it to somebody who's already fully committed to me. So we can say the lie that he doesn't, that God isn't good can not stand because Jesus got off of his throne and got up onto the tree knowing the implications of what that tree would mean for him. And for us, only as we gaze upon his cross will we be drawn to trust him. We reason in our minds, we reflect in our hearts. If he gave his life for me, I can trust him with my life. If he gave his life to me, I can give my life to him. And that's what Genesis 3 is about. It's about all the pain and suffering and death that the world has suffered since that day. But there, and it's about a lie that was told that we still believe and we still destroy our lives with that lie today. But it's about a promise. A promise that one day God is going to turn things around and that when you call upon Jesus today, the, the promise begins to work in your life today. that you can walk with God today, that God's Spirit can dwell within you today, that there's hope today, that you can walk out today with hope. So what will it be? What's it going to be for you? 
Are you going to keep posing? Are you going to keep hiding? I mean, it's tiring, isn't it? Did I tell them this or that? Am I trying to live a life, a lie? Can I just let my guard down and be who I am? Because God already knows who I am. Can I start to be who God wants me to be? Can I trust Him? Can I believe that He does love me? And, and live my life that way, transparently, and begin to walk with Him because He wants to walk with me. And that's the promise of Genesis. I hope that you will take that promise with you as you leave today. That you'll leave the lie, leave the lie here and take the promise with you. Let me pray with you. Let's pray. Father, help us because this lie is so prevalent today in our culture and in our lives. And we have become hiders. We have become posers. We don't like to hear the truth about us. We can't bear the truth about us. But you know the worst. And that's why Christ came. So that the worst could be revealed. The punishment could be taken. And we can begin to be healed as we believe the promise that we are loved, that we are forgiven because Jesus obeyed you about the tree and climbed the tree and suffered for us. Thank you, Father. If there's anyone here, Father, this morning that has never called upon Jesus, may today be the day that they say, I'm lost. I need a Savior. Jesus, would you come into my life? You gave your life for me because I sinned. And because I sin, I give my life to you. Would you come into my life and take over and save me? Father, for those of us who have called upon the Lord, help us to put aside the lie and to believe the promise and find our hope and our strength in the promise of the cross. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name.